All right. Talking about spiritual disciplines. If you don't like the term spiritual disciplines, you can call them the means of grace. If you don't like the means of grace, you can call them spiritual disciplines. So it's up to you, your pick. And we're going to talk tonight and next week about Bible intake. Um, Let's just start by thinking about a few different places around the world and how some of these places are different um, than the United States. A lot has been said on the news lately about North Korea. Um, You've seen pictures, you've heard lots of different things about North Korea. In North Korea, Bibles are banned, and anyone found with a Bible in their possession can face prison, torture, uh, or death. And the law in North Korea says that those punishments can be applied to three generations of your family. So when you possess a Bible there, you're not only putting yourself at risk, just kind of strange thought, you're putting your kids at risk and your grandkids at risk. Um, I actually went on a mission trip to China. We went to northern China, and the city we were in is called Dandong. And there's a bridge from Dandong to North Korea. And you can stand there. You can go out halfway across this old busted bridge. And you can look over into North Korea. And we spent some time with a guy. Um, He didn't call himself a missionary. That obviously didn't really fly. Uh, He called himself a coffee shop owner. And he owned a coffee shop. And it was right on the edge of town, right there on the river. We sat in his coffee shop. And you looked out across the street. And there's this river separating China from North Korea, and you could see the, the traffic between the two. And uh, when we spent time with him, he was very, very secretive about what he was doing and where we would go and how we would talk to people there. And I'll be honest with you, when, when we were with him, I thought, this is ridiculous. Like, we are not spies. This is too much. You are paranoid. You are crazy. Relax a little bit. Because everywhere we went in China, we felt perfectly safe. And about a year and a half after we got back, he got arrested. And the reason he got arrested as part of his ministry was smuggling Bibles into North Korea. And they figured out what he was doing. His entire family got arrested. Uh, His wife and his kids were released. And the last thing I heard, he was still in prison. So um, it's real. It's not like just you look it up on the Internet and somebody says it's true. It's real. You cannot have Bibles in North Korea. Um, How about this next picture? Everybody ready to go on vacation? looks nice. Uh, This is the Maldives or the Maldives. It's a luxurious island, but if you import Bibles into this Muslim nation, uh, you can go to prison. It's forbidden. So you look at it. You should Google it. There's amazing pictures of this place. It is one of the most beautiful countries you've ever seen. Bibles are not allowed. Cannot go. Uh, The next picture is uh, Morocco and Libya. And uh, some, some beautiful architecture in both of those two countries. Uh, it is against the law to carry a Bible in these countries that is translated into Arabic. So a little bit looser. You can have a Bible. You just cannot have one translated into Arabic, which is kind of a bummer because everybody there speaks Arabic. So you can carry a Bible around as long as it's one that nobody can read. If you have one that somebody can read, you're in big trouble. Uzbekistan. Owning a Bible is described in this country as storing extremist materials. Storing extremist materials and the punishment uh, is severe. 
There's groups like the Gideons. There's groups like um, Voice of the Martyrs that VOM, they try to take Bibles into these places. Sometimes they smuggle them in one at a time. Sometimes they smuggle them in a case at a time. Sometimes they airdrop them in. They do whatever they can do. They try to get hard copies in. They try to get digital copies in. But it's a strange reality for you and I to think that there really are places in the world in 2017 where you are not legally allowed to own a copy of the Bible. When you and I can go to the Christian bookstore or we can get on Amazon and we have hundreds of options for what kind of cover you want on your Bible or what translation you want or do you want the little tabs on the end or do you want large print or small print or do you like the ESV or the NLT or the NIV or the NASB I mean it is a total consumer market and it's free game and that is just not the case a lot of places around the world some of you have heard of a group called Wycliffe Bible Translators let me put Wycliffe's logo up in some numbers Uh, these numbers are a little bit old they're a couple of years old but not much has changed Wycliffe says that there are 1,600 people groups in the world that do not have access to a Bible in their language. That's an incredible number. Not 1,600 people, 1,600 people groups. Entire groups of people that speak a particular language. And if they are going to read the, the Word of God, they are going to have to learn an entirely new language. They crunched the numbers when they put this out a few years ago. And they said, uh, best case scenario, best case scenario, based on where they're working and the speed at which they work and all those sorts of things, they would be able to remedy that problem, every people group having a Bible in their own language by the year 2150. And you say, well, what is the holdup? Most of those 1,600 people groups, those folks, many of them, do not read and write. They speak a language. There's no Bible in it, but there's not any books in it. They're not literate peoples. They're oral communicators. So if you work for Wycliffe, your first job is to go live among these people and learn their language by talking to them. There's no class to take. There's no grammar you can open up to learn it. You just start talking and you figure it out from totally from ground zero. Then, once you've learned to speak it, you, as the translator, invent their alphabet. You put it down, you alphabetize it, you write their words out, you write the grammar. Then you take all of that stuff that you've put down on paper and you teach it to them because they don't know it. They can speak it, but they don't know any of that. And once they know how to read and write their own language, then all you have to do is translate the whole Bible into their language. It's not something you do on a short-term mission trip. Like, I'm going for a week. You don't do it in a week. You commit your life to that, to live among a people, to learn their language, to reduce it to writing, to teach it to them, and then to translate the scriptures. It's an amazing, amazing task. Just a quote to share with you as we start here. This is from David Mathis. He says, It is a remarkable thing that we have Bibles we can read personally whenever we want. For most of church history... And still today, in many places in the world, Christians have not had their own personal copies of the Bible. They had to go gather to hear someone read it to them. 
But now, with printed Bibles and electronic options galore, we have priceless access to God's very words to us. Words that we are so tragically tempted to take lightly. Reading your own copy of the Bible daily is not a law that every believer must abide. I agree with him when he says that. Reading your own copy of the Bible every day is not a law that you must abide by. But just realize most Christians have not had this option. The habit of daily Bible reading can be a marvelous means of God's grace. The point of what we're going to start talking about tonight is not to guilt you into doing something. The point is to help you see the amazing opportunity that you have before you to live where you live and when you live and to have the resources at your fingertips that are available and to help you understand the importance of Bible intake. And so let's just start with this. What is the spiritual discipline of Bible intake? The discipline of Bible intake is rooted in a biblical view of revelation. That's little r revelation, not the book of Revelation, the last book in your New Testament, but little r, the doctrine of revelation. And some of you guys were around last go around when we talked about systematic theology, and the very first doctrine we talked about was the doctrine of revelation. Something interesting, you may have never really thought of this, when you study the history of religion, the Jews, the Hebrew people, were the first people to have their faith centered on a holy text. Holy text. There were other people who had texts. Other people had written things down and wrote things down. The Jewish people were the first person to have these stories that they thought it is vital and crucial that we write these things down. And you look at many, many, many other ancient religions and some that have existed today and some that have died out, they sort of centered on holy people or holy places, going to a place, or holy rituals. I'm going to go and I'm going to do something at this holy place and it's a holy sort of ceremony that I'm participating in, or holy objects, having certain things that were thought to be holy. And the Jewish people sort of centered around something different and it was a, a holy text, the writings that we, we saw summarized earlier in the video. So a few ideas about Revelation. Okay, Now I'm taking the whole lesson on the doctrine of systematic theology, doctrine of Revelation. We're boiling it down to two points. Number one, God's Word is powerful. God's Word is powerful. And number two, the Bible is God's Word. God's Word is powerful, and the Bible is God's Word. Let's look at a few verses here on both of these ideas. We'll start in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Many of you know it by heart. Genesis 1, 3 says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. When God speaks, things happen. When words come out of his mouth, things come into existence, things that were not formerly in existence, suddenly are in existence. His word is powerful. And you see this same idea from Genesis 1-3, if you flip to the New Testament and you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4-6 says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
He speaks in the beginning a word, and it brings light from nothingness, from darkness. He speaks life into our, li- our hearts, our lives, and where there was once nothing but spiritual death, all of a sudden there's spiritual life. Flip to the right, we'll look at Hebrews chapter 4. Before we move on to this next idea, Hebrews 4, verse 12 to 13. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word is powerful, and we follow that up with the idea that the Bible is God's word. Okay? I don't know if you have ever thought about this in your entire life, but it is amazing to think that the Word of God in the beginning brings light out of darkness. The Word of God does that. And in your hand, you hold the Word of God. Words inspired by the same God. That's not to say they're somehow magical. That's not to say somehow you can manipulate them into doing what you want them to do. But it is to say God's word, the Bible, is powerful. And we'll look at two verses. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're in Hebrews, just flip back to the left a few pages. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, All scripture is breathed out by God. This is the very word that comes from his mouth. Scripture, the Bible, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. If you flip to the right, just a few pages, you'll find the book, a very short book, of 2 Peter. And if you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, Peter says, We have something that is more sure, more certain. He's talked about the amazing experience of seeing Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, I saw the glory of Jesus revealed to me. But let me tell you something that's more sure and more certain and more powerful than that. Verse 19, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this... That no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. These guys weren't just making this stuff up on the fly. No prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God's Word is powerful, and the Bible is God's Word. Okay. Now we'll build on that, thinking what is the, the spiritual discipline of Bible intake. Bible intake is the primary and foundational spiritual discipline you got to get this in your brain, I've got to get it in my brain, and you've got to keep it there. Of all the means of grace, of all the spiritual disciplines, the primary one, the first one, and the foundational one that you have to build on is Bible intake. Some people say, well, I'm not very good at Bible reading. I just would rather pray. Well, I'm glad you like to pray, but you have to have Bible intake. If you're going to pray correctly, if you don't have Bible intake, your prayers are going to become self-focused. They're going to become idolatrous. They're going to be untethered from the truth of God's revealed word. You've got to begin with Bible intake. This is a quote from Donald Whitney. We've talked about him and we'll continue to talk about him in this study. 
No spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. Nothing can substitute for it. Listen, nothing can substitute for it. A devotion book cannot substitute for it. Jesus' calling cannot substitute for it. Chicken soup for the teenage soul cannot substitute for it. Nothing takes the place of God's word. If we would know God and we would be godly, we must know the word of God. You can really think about Bible intake as like a tether that keeps you safe from the dangers that you can wade into in the other spiritual disciplines. So maybe you've been in the airport or the mall and you've seen a a parent walking around with a kid and the kid's got a little backpack on and then they've got like a, a leash. I don't know that it's right to call it a leash, but that's what it is, right? It's you got your kid on a leash. And the parents have the kid on the leash because they say they're safe with me and I don't want them to get separated from me, right? We're in a busy place. There's lots of people I don't know. Lots of things could go wrong. I want the kid to stay close to me. Bible intake is that leash that keeps you close to God, okay? All of these disciplines that we're talking about are designed for you to grow closer to God. But if you don't start with Bible intake, it's like you've severed this tether. You've cut this leash that keeps you close. And you may stay orthodox in your thinking. You may stay biblical in your prayers. But there's nothing connecting you and holding you there. And very easily you can be blown by every teaching, every idea, every book, every wind of doctrine. And all of the spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about after this sort of just become unhinged from the truth. You've got to begin with this primary spiritual discipline, okay? A few more thoughts here. Bible intake is far more than education. It aims at life transformation. If you are just kind of a book nerd like me, you need to have this drummed into your head. Because I really just like to read. Bible intake is easy for me because I like reading anyways. And I like learning things. And I like learning through reading. So it just is a sort of a natural fit in my life where some of the other disciplines are more challenging. But I need to remind myself, and you need to remind yourself, Bible intake is not just for reading nerds. It's not just so you learn a bunch of stuff. It's not just so you can be the champion at Bible Jeopardy. It's about life transformation. And in your life, if your Bible reading is not somehow connected to life transformation, you're not doing it right. And in my life, if Bible reading and Bible intake is not connected to a changed life, Something is drastically wrong. So we'll just look at one example of this because we've got to move quick. Look at James chapter 1. If you're in Second Peter, you can just go back to the left a couple of pages. James 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If you are a hearer, a reader only, you are fooling yourself. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We're looking for life transformation. Not just hearing, not just reading, not just learning things, but allowing God's word to change your life. 
Last idea is this. Bible intake is more. It's for more than counseling, more than witnessing, more than sanctification. It aims to help you know God and enjoy God. So sometimes people approach Bible reading and they say, you know, I I have these people at work and they come to me with their problems because they know I'm a Christian, so I need to read the Bible so I have some things to say to them, right? I need to have something to come back at them with. Well, that's good, and I'm glad you're digging into the Bible for that reason, but that can't be primary. The Bible is not given to you so that you can argue better. You understand that? Some people say, well, I want to be a a better witness. I want to be able to share the gospel with people. And so I need to go to the Bible so that I can have my verses and I can get them lined up. And then when I talk to people, I can say, bang, 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 bang. Why don't you accept Jesus? Okay? I'm all for you using the Bible when you share the gospel with people. If you're not doing that, you're probably not doing it right. But if the only thing you're trying to do in Bible reading is pluck out a few proof verses that you can slap at somebody who doesn't know Jesus, I think you're missing the point. Some people say, come to me as a pastor, and they say, man, pastor, I'm really struggling with this sin. Can you give me some Bible verses to help me in this? Well, we can talk about that. I can give you some Bible verses and give you some things to think about and meditate on. But ultimately, the big picture is not just that you come to God's Word with your own agenda, but that you come to God's Word to meet God, to know God, and to enjoy God. One of my favorite things that Don Sauls says all the time, and he's not here tonight, so he doesn't even get to hear me brag on him, and I don't think he knows how to work a podcast, so he'll never hear this. But he, he always says, he always says, you cannot separate God from his word. You cannot tell me you love God and you have this close relationship with God if it's not tethered by his word. And at the end of the day, the main reason that we take in the Bible, we read the Bible, we study the Bible, we meditate on the Bible, we memorize the Bible, is not so we can argue better, not so we can sort of conquer our bad habits, but it's so that we can know him. And when we know him, we enjoy him. And so just one verse on that. Let's look at Psalm 1, 1 to 6. And then we'll move on a little bit here. Psalm 1, 1 to 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights in it. On his law he meditates day and night. This man is like a tree, this woman is like a tree, planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he, she does, he, she prospers. The wicked are not so, they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows this person. They have a relationship. Why? It's not just because he doesn't do bad things. It's because he delights in God's law and he thinks about it and he meditates on it and he studies it and he reads it. Day and night, you see this relationship. Let me give you just quickly, these are not on your, on your notes. I didn't have space for all of this. Let me give you wrong ways to practice the spiritual discipline of Bible intake. This is not intended to shame you, embarrass you, to laugh at you. 
but here are a few wrong ways to do it, okay? Don't read it all. That's, that's wrong, right? If you don't ever read the Bible, Bible intake is not happening correctly in your life. Secondly, wrong, read books about the Bible instead of the Bible. Now look, you can come to my office and you can know immediately that I like to read books about the Bible. I have a few in my office. But if that's all you're doing and you're never actually reading the Bible, there's a huge problem. It's like somebody who says to you, Shakespeare is my favorite. I love Shakespeare. I just I love Shakespeare. And you say, well, what's your favorite play? Well, I haven't read any of them. But I've read a lot of books about them. I've read biographies about Shakespeare. And I've read people write uh, commentaries or their evaluation or their interpretation of Romeo and Juliet or this or that or the other. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, Shakespeare's your favorite and you've never read Shakespeare? You wouldn't buy it for a second. So you can say, well, I, I read this book and I read this book. and That's a great. But you've got to read the word. Ways to do it wrong. Read randomly, meaning you just sort of use the, the flop and read method. Like you just flop it down and... Psalm 127 today, and then tomorrow you just kind of do the flip method, and you go, Job 29 today, and it's just random, and it's hit and miss. Don't, don't do it that way. Lastly, we watched a video on this last week. If you want to do it wrong, read without meditation, read without prayer, okay? Don't do it those ways. How do you actually do it? How do you practice the spiritual discipline of Bible intake? Let me share... Uh, this thought with you from David Mathis. I think I've got a quote from David Mathis up here. Did I put it up there? No, I didn't put it. I marked it. I put it. Let me read it to you. No biblical author gives any nice, clean plan for how to go about daily Bible reading. Like, for a second, breathe a sigh of relief. If you're like, I haven't been doing it right. Just understand, there isn't a right way to do it. There isn't the right way to do it, a single right way to do it. But here's some thoughts about how I think you ought to do it. Number one, Bible reading. You need a plan and you need to be flexible. You need a plan and you need to be flexible. And some of us, I guess I would say most of us, are better at one of those than the other. I'm better about the plan and not so good about the flexible part. And some of you are super flexible, but you're, you really, really need a plan. And you've got to have both of those things. You know that almost nothing great in this world happens without a plan. Great things don't happen by accident. On a very rare occasion, does somebody just stumble upon doing something great? There's usually a plan and some intention and some, some thought behind it. On the other hand, I bet every one of you have set out at some point in your life with a Bible reading plan and you've got about six days in and you missed a day and you're like, well, great. I guess I'll make a New Year's resolution next year to read the Bible every day of the year. I'm off for 358 days. What am I going to read for the next 11 months? You've got to be intentional with a plan and you also have to be flexible. Let me mention a couple of plans, okay? You're like, what do you mean a plan? Here's a plan. Go buy a journaling Bible, okay? Uh, If you look at this Bible, it's 
it's square. It's not rectangle, right? And it's because on the, on the edge of every page, there's just blank lines. And your plan could be, I've done this for several years. I'm going to start, my plan is I'm going to start in Genesis and I'm just going to go. And I'm going to try not to, you know, take forever to get through it. Here we go. And as I go, I'm going to make notes and I'm going to write things out in the column. And some of the stuff I write out in the column is like, hey, this verse reminds me of something Jesus said. I bet there's a connection there. Or some of the things I write out in the column is like, I don't know what's going on in this verse. I have no clue what that means, but I'd like to think about it and maybe come back to that someday. Or maybe you cross-reference verses or you write down a personal application or something like that. Uh, But you write down out in the margins and your plan is I'm going to go through and I'm going to read and that's that's your plan. That's a good plan. Another plan would be a one-year Bible. Um, This is an example of a one-year Bible. This is uh, the New Living Translation kind of an easier translation to read and it's super easy it's perfect for people who struggle to come up with their own plan it just tells you January 1st this is what you need to read and it gives you a little bit from Genesis and then it gives you a little bit from the Gospel of Matthew and then it gives you a little bit of Psalms and a little bit of Proverbs Old Testament New Testament Psalms, Proverbs, every day, and it tells you exactly what to read. And this is super helpful because you're tracking along and you're doing pretty good, and then you kind of fall off the wagon and you miss a few days, and you look at it and you're like, you know how behind you are. Like, oh, I haven't done this in two weeks. You get exposed, and it kind of helps you to stay on track, and it gives you a good picture of the lay of the land. And uh, I've used this a lot of times, gone through it multiple times, and it's I don't, I don't tell you that I've gone through it multiple times to say, look how great I am. I tell you that to say it re- works. It's a helpful system to have something every day and you go through and you read it and you know where you're at. Um, most of you guys have a smartphone. Um, you should get online. There's lots of good apps, okay? I'm just going to tell you the one I like. Um, the ESV Bible app. You just go to the app store. Uh, it's on Google or it's on Android, ESV and English Standard Version, and you can pull it up. And if you pull it up, down at the bottom, it's got a little uh, calendar. And you tap on that calendar, and just for free, just for downloading the app, they have multiple Bible reading plans. They have, here's a chronological Bible reading plan. And it tells you it'll take you one year. And they're going to take the Bible, and they're going to put it in chronological order of how things actually happen. So they're going to rearrange the material but you're going to go through and you're going to get the whole thing chronological. Here's one called uh, Daily Proverbs, one month, one month plan. And you're like, well, I can figure that out. There's 31 chapters. Any dummy could do that. Why would I need that plan on my phone? Because every morning when you wake up, it's going to ding you and say, hey, read Proverbs today. So when you wake up and you're checking your Facebook and your text messages and all that stuff, it's going to say, hey, hey, don't forget about me. Um, daily Psalms. You can do day one of 150 days. So you do it about twice uh, in a year. And apparently at some point I decided I was going to do this daily psalm thing and I'm on day one of 150. And it tells me right there, I'm on 0%. You have, no, you have done 0% of your Bible reading plan. I don't remember starting that, but I guess I started it at some point. And it just tells it for you. Now I'll be honest, I hate reading on a phone. 
I can, I detest it. I don't like it. It's unnatural. It's not good. But here's a fact that I cannot deny. Studies show that people who use apps like this are way more consistent than people who use this. And I'm going to use this because I just like a book in my hand better and I'm just snobbish like that. But people who use an app have a plan on their phone and it's going to remind them and it's going to be in their hand all day anyways so they're going to think about it. The statistics are not even close that people who use something like that do way, way better. And some of you, I just found this today when I was, when I was studying this afternoon. Some of you are, are like, uh, man, I just, I just, Pastor, I don't like reading. I can't do it. My mind wanders and I don't like it. Well, guess what? There's a little button at the bottom of this app and it's got a little speaker. And if I go to Psalm 1-1 and then I touch the speaker, are you ready for this? I'm going to hit the play button. You ready? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And some of you, some of you are sitting there thinking, that guy is going to make me fall asleep. He talks so slow and so boring. Well, guess what? There's a button that says speed it up. So you can hit the fast button, and then you go back and you hit play. Yeah, a little bit faster. And some of you are thinking, oh, I can't keep up with that. That's way too fast for me. I'll never get anything. Well, you just go in there and you go, I want him to read slow. You hit the slow button. It's fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. You have no excuse not to read or listen or something. You have zero, zero excuse. You need a plan, and you need to be flexible. And that leads me right into this next point. Are you ready? Most Christians can read through the entire Bible. I had that originally saying most can read through the entire Bible in a year. And I took it off to just say most can read through the entire Bible. If you've never done that, that should be a doable goal of yours. And uh, let me just put some numbers up on the screen. Let's talk about these numbers. 70 to 71. If you use that app that I just showed you, and you start in Genesis 1-1, and you hit the play button, and you go all the way to the last word in the Bible, it's going to take you 71 hours. That's how long it takes to listen to Genesis, to Revelation, all the way through nonstop. I know you're not going to do that nonstop, but 71 hours. Most of you, not all, most of you, when you read silently, you read a little bit faster silently then you would say it out loud or someone would read it out loud. So 70 to 71 hours, you can get through the whole thing. Now you say, what is 5 and 1,825? Uh, this is definite solid information because I got this from the United States government. So you can take this to the bank. Um, this is the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Say that American teenagers and adults have an average of five hours of leisure time a day. Five hours a day of leisure time. That's time where you are not in school, you are not working, you are not sleeping. Okay? Time where you can decide, what am I going to do with this time? Five hours a day. Which means in a year, you have 1,825 leisure hours in a year. The Bible takes 70 to read it or to listen to it. You could do it 20 times 
in a year if it was a priority. I've never come close to reading it 20 times in a year. I don't expect you to come close to reading it 20 times in a year, but you understand my point. No one has the excuse of, I don't have the time. That is not a valid excuse for anyone. You can listen to it. You can download it. You can read it. You can do it on your phone. You can do it in a book. You have the time and I have the time. Most Christians can read through the entire Bible. Um, last idea is this. It is okay to be confused as you read, but you always want to strive for understanding. You want to strive for understanding. It is not okay, is not helpful for you to spend 10 minutes reading and then to look up and say, I have no idea what that was about at all. I couldn't tell you anything about it. That's not good. Go back and read it again. It is okay for you to get done and say, I really don't know why that's in the Bible. I don't really understand what the point of that is. I'm not exactly sure what that has to do with anything in the whole wide world. It's okay to read and come to those questions. It's not okay to read and then to put it down and for the whole thing to be mindless and you don't have a clue what you just you read about. So it's okay to be confused as you're reading through and you're putting all the pieces together, but you do want to strive for understanding. Okay. Now let's talk about study. We talked about reading. Now we're going to talk about study. And I'll put a picture up to help you see the difference between reading and study. Okay. Reading is kind of like raking. Okay. Look at the guy's face over there raking. I know it's kind of small, but he's he's grinning. He's smiling. Right. It's 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 a little bit of exercise to rake, but it's not going to kill you to get out there and rake some leaves and pull them over. I mean, you kind of leisurely do it. You don't have to exert that much energy. The rake just kind of glides over the top. And when you're done raking, you're finished, you can kind of see the lay of the land, right? You kind of know what's underneath all that mess you just raked up. Studying is like digging. Like, look at the guy in the hole. He doesn't look very happy to be in the hole. It's because it's hard work to dig a hole. It doesn't happen as easy as raking, right? But if you want a solid foundation for something, it's no good to get your rake out. You've got to get your shovel out, and you've got to actually dig, and you've got to put some effort into it. That's kind of the difference, between, difference in what we're talking about between reading and studying. Reading is designed to just kind of give you the lay of the land, to kind of help you see the big picture of what's going on. Digging is when you stop in a particular place and you dig down deep into a particular story or a passage or a paragraph or a sentence or something like that. You need to do both, okay? A few ideas about study. In-depth study is a biblical practice. It's a biblical practice. And very quickly, let's look at one of these verses, Acts chapter 17. Verse 10, Paul just spent time in Thessalonica. This is right after he just spent time in Philippi. So he goes to Philippi, to Thessalonica. We pick up in verse 10, and it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night That's from Thessalonica to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, the ones in Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. 
they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, right? Two different things that these Jews in Berea did. One, they received the scriptures eagerly, eagerly. That's kind of like raking, right? It's just basic Bible intake. But then they're examining the scriptures daily to see if Paul's really talking about what he says he's talking about. That's digging down deep for study. There's some amazing tools to help you study. Again, none of us are without, uh, or none of us have an excuse here. Amazing tools to help you study. I just brought a couple that I use, have used, and use regularly, um, just so you kind of get an idea. I brought a study Bible in here. A lot of you guys have study Bibles. You know what that is. Some of you have no clue. Uh, Study Bible has the Bible. And then down at the bottom of, of each page, it's got a section of notes. And the notes just sort of say, this is what this place is. This is who this guy is. This is what that word means. This is what's going on here. They sort of give you heads up to things you ought to be thinking about. Uh, in a good study Bible, um, I don't have a copy here at the office, so I didn't bring it in here. But my favorite is the ESV study Bible. You'll turn around and you'll flip through and you'll find maps and you'll find... Uh, Uh, pictures and you'll find articles Uh, in this study Bible at the beginning of each book they give you an overview of the book so before you just jump blindly into the book of numbers for example and get into all of the mess that is numbers it says hey this is what you need to know about numbers like heads up this is what you're about to read and it sort of gives you a lay of the land and you know what to expect and it outlines it and it introduces you to all the major characters so study Bible is a, a very helpful thing um Some of you think this is about the nerdiest thing you've ever heard in your life, but trust me, I know what I'm talking about here when it comes to nerdy stuff. The the Holman Book of Bible Charts, Maps, and Reconstructions. Wake up. Some of you already fell asleep when I read the title. But I'm telling you, I pull this thing off my shelf at least once a month, and it has got all kinds of information that is helpful to know if you want to study the Bible and if you want to study... Uh, things going on. It's got church history. It's got timelines. Here's a list of all of the prophets in the Old Testament. Here's a list of when they came back from exile, in case you're curious about that. Here's a list of all the kings of Israel and Judah. Look, you, you crack your Bible open. You start reading about Jehoahaz. How many of you know who Jehoahaz is? How many of you could tell me anything about Jehoahaz? But you have a resource like this. You say, Jehoahaz, he's the guy that came after Jehu. I remember Jehu, he's the guy that killed a bunch of guys. He was crazy. The next guy was, you put it in context. You figure out where it's at in the story. So there's good stuff in there. Um, And I would recommend online resource, like we watched a minute ago, uh, like the Bible Project. If you want to sit through and read through the Bible, they have a video for every single book of the Bible. So before you read Genesis, watch their video on Genesis and sort of get the idea. This is what I'm about to jump into in Genesis, and you can do that all the way through the Bible. There's plenty, plenty, plenty of great tools available. Now listen, you live in North Korea, that point doesn't make the outline, right? I mean, you live in Uzbekistan, we're scratching that one off. But you have the privilege of living in the United States of America, you've got a Christian bookstore right down the road, you've got Amazon on your phone, you have amazing tools that can help you understand it, right? We already said no one has the excuse of, I don't have time. Yes, you do have time. No one has the excuse of, I just can't understand the Bible. 
Because if a dummy like me can make sense of stuff, any one of you can make sense of it, I promise. I know you guys. I know how good you guys are at the things that you do. You guys do things that I could never in a million years do. Not one of you guys in here is a dummy and can't get it. But if you don't study, you're not going to get it. It takes some work. Daryl Williamson didn't learn how to fix sprinklers in two minutes. But he comes to my house, and he does a great job, and he's a pro at it, and he's clean, and he's neat, and it always works when he leaves because he's worked hard at that. And the same thing's true for you guys in the things you do. If you work at it and there are tools available, I promise you, you can make sense of it. Last idea is this. Bible study moves beyond exposure to real understanding where you start to connect the dots and you start to understand the main ideas and you start to connect these themes that run all the way through the Bible from beginning to end. I remember growing up, uh, my dad telling me all the time, you need to read your Bible, you need to read your Bible. Are you reading your Bible? You've got to read your Bible. It's just something he drilled into me. And my dad uh, has not been to seminary. He's not read a thousandth of the books that are on the shelf in my office right now. But he sat down as a new believer, as a young man, a young married man, grew up in a Catholic background, had never read anything in the Bible, didn't know the front from the back or the maps from the table of contents, nothing. And he just started reading. And he started teaching a children's Sunday school class because he felt like that was about the level he was on. And he said, I ought to be able to learn a children's Sunday school lesson in a week, and then I ought to be able to tell it to somebody. So he started teaching first grade Sunday school. I'm going to do it every week, every week. I'm going to read the lesson. I'm going to read the Bible. And you do that for an awful lot of years. And lo and behold, you sort of make connections, and you start to understand things. And I remember him saying to me when I was younger, and he would say, are you reading your Bible? And I'd say, yeah, I got to Leviticus, and I quit. Well, you should keep going but I don't understand it. doesn't make sense to me. You don't have to understand it right now. You just need to keep going and you need to keep reading it and you need to do it over and over and over and over again. And you do that and it doesn't matter who you are, what your education level is, how smart or not smart you think you are. You make the commitment to this discipline and I promise you wake up one day and you're reading through Leviticus and you're saying, this is great stuff. Leviticus, man, there's some stuff in here that will knock your socks off. And you love it, and you see the connections, and you understand things that you never had a clue about. You guys can do that, and I hope that you will be prayerful in thinking about what this discipline looks like in your life. So that's part one on Bible intake. 